and welcome to a brand new episode of the League One Lowdown. We continue our season reviews. We are looking at now from tenth place to fourth place. I am your host, Matt Sargent. As ever, I am joined by our two guests. I'm joined by Alex. Alex, how are you? And how's your week been, mate? Um, Mark, thank you. I've been looking forward to the Champions League final most of the week, just ticking through with work at the supermarket, and yeah, just, just looking forward to the weekend. Really, for a bit more football. Good man, yeah. Uh, who isn't excited for the Champions League final? Uh, in all fairness, so Joe, how are you, mate? How's the week been as well? Yeah, yeah, not bad, mate. Um, just about just about recovered from watching that um dramatic end to the League One Player Final, to be honest. Yeah, and uh, you've tied it in brilliantly there. Uh, the League One Player Final, of course, was uh, as you probably already know, listening to the podcast, won by Charlton. Uh, from all of us at the League One Lowdown, I think congratulations has to go in order. Uh, it was dramatic as it gets. Uh, Naby Sarr scored an own goal, a comical own goal inside four minutes. And then Patrick Bauer scored with the last kick of the game in stoppage time to send the Addicts back to the Championship after four years. Charlton fans, if you haven't already, uh, to get your Championship news and fix, subscribe to at ChampChat22, podcast hosted by Elliot Jackson. Of course, you won't be wanting to listen to the League One lowdown next year, will you? Unlike Sunderland support, you'll be with us for another year. And what did you make of the final? Because to go down so early on in a Wembley final... Um, and for the first 20 minutes, Charlton looked a real sort of, they looked a real nervous threat. They got themselves composed. They got playing the way they played. How good was it that they managed to show fighting spirit to come back from a goal down and then win it in such dramatic, dramatic circumstances? Yeah, obviously it was a, it was a great way to um, win the game. Obviously, it's a, it's a nightmare start really for, for Charlton. I think it's every player's worst nightmare to sort of be, have that, not, not just in um, a big game at Wembley, to have... Uh, sort of that mistake um, happened to you. Um, it's probably every goalkeeper certainly worst nightmare. And um, and for Charlton, you know, it really was a gift to Sunderland. And I think Sunderland, although Charlton started nervously, Sunderland never really, um, they never really threatened at all during the whole game. Like Charlton, as much as it was impressive to come back, I don't think they were playing against a particularly good side. Um, with all respect to, to Sunderland, I think they've sort of admitted that themselves, that they just didn't really turn up at all in that game. And although Charlton gave Sunderland a gift early on, like it wasn't enough for them, um, and I think it you know also was detrimental a little bit to Sunderland. Like I think they just uh, um, ahead that early on, it can be easy to beca- sort of become complacent, um, and maybe that's what uh, a little bit of complacency crept in. They went within themselves a little bit to try and sort of hold on to that lead rather than sort of go for more goals. Um, but yeah, I mean Charlton, I think I've always said like since the beginning of the playoffs, I've always said that they're my favourites to go up, um, just because they've got momentum coming. Coming in, I think they're actually a genuinely good side. Like they've got really good players. Lyle Taylor is uh, probably one of the best strikers in the league. So it doesn't surprise me they've gone up at all. Um, and Sunderland, I think, obviously massive disappointment. And um, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just ridiculous to think they're going to be in in uh, League One for a second season, really. Yeah, it is quite staggering to think. Obviously, they were expected by um, a lot of the bookmakers to be the team that was going to be so dominant and walk the division. Um, Alex. Joe made a really good point there, the fact that even though Sunderland were a goal up, you could almost just sense that Charlton were going to be the winners. That's the impression that I got. Would you agree with what Joe said about how Charlton looked like they were going to be the only team that was going to find a winner in normal time in the game? Yeah, in, in a sense, perhaps that um, own goal, in a way, was sort of a blessing in disguise. They sort of like forced Charlton to come out of Sunderland a bit more, even though I do think they would have done it anyway, is they sort of had no choice after that to really like press on the look for the next goal. You'd get the feeling if Sunderland would have gone 2-0 up, the way they can um, see a game out, as you saw as we saw against Portsmouth in the playoffs, there probably would have been no way back with Charlton if they'd have gone two down. But So to, 
give away that early goal, sort of like set the way they were going to play the game for them. And they just did what they've been doing the second half of the whole season, Charlton, just the way they um, managed to um, score two past Thunderland, including the never de- the never day side attitude right at the end of the game to get that um, very late winner. And I've got to say, I was very, very disappointed with Sunderland because I expected them to, if they were going to get the lead, I'd have expected them to be able to hold on to it. Because they have shown all season they are so tough to beat with all the draws they've got. They don't lose many games. So I'm sure Jack Ross would be incredibly disappointed his side couldn't have used that um, gift of a goal for something to build on. And then what I found really, really strange is when George Honeyman came out and said that he was proud of the team's performance. And I'm sorry, but if you're a local lad captain, and you, you, and I know he talks a lot about that banner, the worst team of their lifetime. He, he says that like that will haunt him for the rest of his life. If he's proud of that performance, then I think he needs to step down as captain and leave the club. Because that is absolutely nothing to be proud of. Like the, the way they were given the goal, and then they just um, sat back and sort of like rolled over for Charlton to win. That was honestly, I'll be if I was a Sunderland fan, I'd be absolutely furious. It just sort of sums up like the the way Sunderland have been as a club the last. Um, three years or so, that performance. So the fact he's come out and said he's proud about it, I'll be absolutely fuming if I was a Sunderland fan. There's absolutely nothing to be proud about in that performance. Get off the fence, bro. Pretty bold claim there by you, uh, Alex, about uh, uh, George Honeyman. Um, without further ado as well, congratulations had to go in order to Tranmere Rovers. They are the fourth and final team to be promoted from League Two this season. They join uh, Berry, Milton Keynes-Dons and Lincoln up into the third tier next season. Connor Jennings got on the 119th minute, beat Newport County in the League Two playoff final last Saturday uh, to make it two promotions on the spin for Mickey Mellon and Tranmere Rovers. Congratulations from everybody at the League One Lowdown. And we look forward to uh, talking about uh, Tranmere next season on the podcast because we've had a huge influx of followers uh, who uh, support Tranmere, uh, follow the Twitter page. So thank you very much for that. But without further ado... Let's move on to the uh, third part of the season review. We go from 10th to 4th, as we said. And we start with Blackpool, who began the season with Gary Bowyer in charge after one game. Uh, incidentally, away to Wickham. It was a nil-nil draw. Uh, and it spelled the end for Bowyer, who resigned, citing problems uh, with the ownership and the board. It almost, to me, gentlemen, seemed like it didn't matter what Blackpool mm. did on the pitch. It just mattered what happened off the pitch. Of course, mid-season, um, there was a receivership. Which the EFL stepped in and said that the Oystens had to step aside. Um, and it basically got the whole crowd that boycotted and stayed away for so many years back into Bloomfield Road. And it was a feel-good atmosphere for a real uh, historic club. Um, Joe, would you agree with that? Sort of in our, Would you agree with that in the sense that it didn't really matter what they did on the pitch? It was just off the pitch that uh, where was, was in order and in working order? I think, yeah, I think for a while there's been a hell of a lot of sort of apathy from Blackpool fans towards the team. Obviously, they've been staying away. They've not been going to home games um, so they don't have to put money into into the Western's pocket. And um, I think for years now, they've just wanted their club back more than, you know, I say more than results. But of course, they want their team to be successful, even though they're not going to the home games. Um, they're still going to want them to win and want them to do well. But... Um, yeah, I think obviously you know that was a big, a, a massive moment sort of in the history of Blackpool Football Club to be able to 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 get the Oysters out of the club to enter a new era, um, and yeah, I mean, I think I think I think so. And to be fair, like I, I I wanted to bring this up because I saw a few weeks ago that um, a few Blackpool fans were not very happy with uh, their manager Terry McPhillips, which I just find so surprising because I think during a a really difficult time at the club, I think he's done a pretty decent job to be honest, like tenth in the league, top half. 
top half of the table. I, I mean, I think there's been a lot of question marks over the style of football and his sort of tactical nous, um, a sort of a rookie coach still. Um, but for me, I just think that you know he's done he's done a, about as well a job. Like how how much better job can can you ex- be expected to have done under the circumstances? I'm I'm a bit baffled by that. But yeah, I think you're right in the sense that. You know, this is you know really tenth uh, in the league, top half finish. All that stuff is is sort of paled into insignificance, really, when you consider you know the the, the massive moment in this season when they managed to get the Oysters at the football club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it does to me seem like, as I said, a bit of uh, you know sort of pales into insignificance. Alex on the pitch, um, Blackpool seemed quite a funny team, didn't they? They never really looked like they were going to challenge for the playoffs, but they always were. We're really safe of the relegation. Do you think there may be a bit of inconsistency crept in? I mean, you know, they, they conceded seven to Bristol Rovers, who were the lowest scorers in League One. Um, they lost some, some you know, games towards the end. You know, they lost some games at the bottom of the table, but then they did get some good results against the top side. So would you look at that and say it was an inconsistent season? Yeah, that's absolutely what it is. You said it yourself. You're conceding seven goals to some of the low scores in the league, but then... They took, they drew both games of Luton and come ever so close to ending Luton's um, stupidly long unbeaten record at Kenilworth Road. I think a late goal um, denied them that. So it, they, they were, they were a good side of the top teams. And you have to say when they sort of had to show that they can play, they did. And you've got to give credit, I think, to Terry McPhillips for that. And I, as Joe said, I can't believe he's um, some Blackpool fans are sort of starting to turn against the manager because he came in at a really tough point for the club. There's Gary Bowyer, the sort of manager who's got a reputation for um, being able to work and uh, um, sort of like tough resources and be able to still get the best out of his players in that situation. And if he said it couldn't go on any longer, then you'd think, well, it must be really, really... Like, everyone knows it's tough at that point you know, when the Austins are there, but it must have been like absolutely pretty much unbearable if even Gary Bowyer couldn't work under it. So when Phillips came in, he, um, he, he, got, he got the team without a pre-season behind... Um, Behind it, which we've we've spoke about in the podcast for how important it is for a manager to be able to prepare thoroughly for the for the upcoming season. He wasn't really like the man at the front to sort all that. He had only a couple of weeks after the transfer window, and he's managed to guide um Blackpool to a top half finish. Not really sure what more Blackpool fans could have expected from him, to be honest. Because I thought he's done a very very good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree with what you said. Moving on to next season now, Joe. I mean. They've already made one summer signing. Uh, Adi Yusuf arrived from Solihull Moors, who scored a lot of goals uh, in the National League for, for Solihull. Of course, he finished uh, in uh, third place. Um, how, how do they go about next season? Because they finished um, 11 points off of Doncaster in sixth. What do you think they need to really become not just a top half team, but playoff challengers or contenders? Well, they're, they're, oh, go on, Joe. Oh, sorry, man. No, you go. Oh, well, they're they're doing um they're doing well at the minute to start building their squad early. They've signed um Yusuf, as you say. They've offered they've got um got Nathan Delfonso a new contract. So they they're doing um business early, which I think is always um the sort of signs for a successful team at these lower levels is to try and get um your deals done early and not um be left with sort of like the best of the rest due to the like the tree for the free transfers and not many other teams want. And I think that's going to be um crucial to going forward next season. And now Tate me Phillips has got the whole preseason to prepare. I could I, I don't think Blackpool will be anywhere near relegation battle. I think they'll be in and around the top maybe in and around the top six and possibly with um a, a bit more consistency. There's no reason why they can't break into the top six next season, especially now um the Oyston seem to be clear of the club. 
Do you think that recruitment's going to play a big part, Joe? Because they don't have the biggest budget in the league and they don't have the worst budget in the league. Do you think they've got to be very, very smart in how they do their recruitment if they're going to be a top six team? Mm, that's, yeah, that's actually what I was going to say. Um, you know, that I think the budget, obviously, is um, is going to be crucial. I don't know what sort of money they're going to be working on for, for, the, for the next season in terms of budget. Like, I, I really have no idea. So that'll be interesting. But that, 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 and the signings are going to be crucial. They've let a few players go. Um, Mark Cullum sort of being the, the headline name there he's been there for a few years done done alright uh, they've let him go so they're clearly I think that's that's a sign I think of uh, a little bit of ambition to sort of move the club forward and and, and, and progress and, and just get better really um, so yeah it'll be, it'll be interesting to see the, the signings they make really because I'm not really sure what, sure what, where to put Blackpool for next season like if you ask me now where they, where they um, could finish they could easily finish the top six and they could easily finish in the bottom four I'm just like this summer's going to be massively important and um it's going to be interesting to see to see how you know what sort of business they do yeah uh you are you are right there uh moving away from blackpool we now go on to another team that begins with being burton Albion. of course they just came down from the championship after a heartbreaking relegation in um <clears throat> excuse me 2017 2018 um the start of the season for burton they were always very good at home they were always going to be have a good track record at home but it was their away form that was seriously patchy in the first half of the season. They sought it out in the second half of the season. They proved to be a much tougher side to beat. They started scoring a lot of goals and the attacking side of things really came out for them. Do you think, um, any of you two, feel free to jump in, do you think that maybe if they didn't have that bad away form at the start of the season, they would have been above Doncaster? Or do you think they might have just still missed out in the playoffs? It's quite interesting, isn't it, how you look at their season in, in, in that dynamic? Well, I've always... Um... Everyone knows, well, if they listen to the podcast, I rate Burton as a good attacking side. And it is their early season form, which I think did cost them a real chance to challenge for the playoffs. I spoke spoke to Nigel Clough after in a press conference after one of the games. um, It must have been February-ish. And he said that it was um, sort of a relegation hangover that they were feeling after, um, after their last season in the Championship. And that is ultimately what he does think is going to cost them. And then... They, they do play good football, as you said. They've, they're always strong at home. It's their home form which they relied on to sort of keep them up in the championship. And it very almost, very almost gave them a third successive season at that level, which for you think about it for a club for Burton size is absolutely remarkable. And then, the, as you said, their away form, it was patchy at the start of the year. And then that's they really didn't have um, much to build on. So it sort of um, left them with too much to do for the second half of the season. But then every Burton game, I probably went to I think I went to three or four towards the back end of the season, and they they, they were unbeaten in all of them. I think they they beat Wickham, they drew with Oxford, beat Accrington, and beat Barnsley. The games I went to, like that's some um, four very good results at home, which is what you expect from Nigel Cross Burton side. So again, I think if they um so now they've not really got um they've got a fresh crack at the whip as you like in the in mm. the summer they can easily be a side to finish in the top six again next season. I think they've got a really good chance of building on what's been a decent end to the season this year and be able to go further next year. Jay, you got anything to uh, add on Burton Albion for the, uh, last, well, did the season just gone? I'm just echoing what, what Brum said, really. I, I totally agree. It was obviously a slow start, but, you know, they're not a bad side. They've got some decent players. I think if they add to what they've got and strengthen in key areas, then I expect to see them being a, a strong side next season. Um, but it will be interesting, actually, um, with Nigel Clough, because although Burton... Um, 
uh, are not are not a team or club for sacking managers at all. Like you get the impression that maybe this season is going to be crucial for the club because, like this season, you always give them a free pass because they you know they obviously went to the championship. This is always going to be tough coming back down to League One. But I kind of feel like there's pressure from certainly the fan base. I don't know whether it is from from the club, but there's pressure from them to do well next season, and um, it'll be interesting to see how they do. I think for for this season coming up. Um... For Burton Albion, you see, you still see some of the teams in this league. Yes, they've only been down here. This is their second season since the championship, but they're not really an attraction. They're not like this big pulling power for me anyway. I don't mean any disrespect, but you know, for Burton Albion, you know, for, for for League One, it's not a bad stadium, is it? But they're just they're not really that much of a pulling power. I think Nigel Clough admits that, doesn't he? He just says, you know, look, we're not this this big so-called club. Do you think that? For them trying to go for these big, big players, do you think that that's the problem? Is the fact that they're not a club that is of this stature that the that the other sides like Portsmouth or Sunderland, who they're going to try and probably go for for for, for same type of players? Do you think that that is a factor in the terms that they're just not really a pulling power or an attractive proposition? I think Nigel Clough plays that down to an extent. As you've seen already this summer, they signed John Joe O'Toole, who is a, is a good midfielder for the lower leagues level. He did well. He's done well at both Bristol Rovers and Northampton. He's the sort of player which you can really see slotting into a Nigel Clough side very well because Jeremy Allen scored eight goals in the field last year. You get the feeling O'Toole would probably get similar figures next year in um the, the Burton side. So he, it's not that they can't attract players. It's just when it does come down to it, They've got um, Liam Boyce, who was a top scorer in the SPL, and then a Northern Ireland international. They managed to sign. I know they're in the championship when they signed it. But they still managed to sign what is quite a big, quite a big name for for this level. So mm. there's there's no reason um, other than financially why they can't um, attract sort of the players you'd say that Portsmouth would go for. And it's interesting we've gone about that because I've just seen that um, a few clubs are linked with um, Lucas Aikens um, from from Burton and. I rate him as a typical, really, really good player for this level. He's a versatile player. He's played anywhere from striker, right wing, wing back to, to right back, in, de- yeah. in defence. Yeah, for Burton, and he's he gives he gives you hundred percent everywhere. He puts in the right shift, whichever position he's in, and he's he, he's a really, really good player for the level. He's Burton's top scorer last season with fourteen goals, joint with Boyce. If they did lose him, I think that'd be absolutely massive. So they've got to surely hope that they want to um, cling on to him before really. Um, been able to plan out the rest of their business does that leave a massive void in the mm. squad losing a player so versatile Jay before I go and hear your opinion on this I think with Aikens he's a club legend isn't he? I think he's their record goal scorer in the football league um, yeah. you know, he's been there now I think six years he was bought by Gary Rowett he's gone up from League 2 with them he's gone up from League 1 he's become captain he is a living legend do you think that Alex Alex made a very very good point the fact if they lost him it would be uh, I think a bit of a problem do you think if they lost him it would be a serious concern for you per, uh, for for their season, given he is a fan's favourite as well. So he, he does add a bit more of a significance than just selling him off, doesn't he? Yeah, I, to be honest, I don't think he will leave. To be honest, I don't. I don't think there's much in this in these rumours. I, I just think he is sort of. Um, I don't want to use the term like Mister Burton Albion, but he's been there for so long, and I don't think Burton will have any intention to sell him. Like he's under contract till twenty twenty one, and yeah, I mean. I think a lot of League One clubs would love to have him in their team. I certainly love him to have him at Oxford. Like he's a fantastic player, um, but I don't. I don't he's any... versatile, isn't he? Sorry yeah, I, yeah, he's yeah, he's versatile, and every time I see him play, he's causing problems, like from any mm. position. So 
I just think there's there's no there's no way Burner will let him go, um, and they'll, he'll be there next season, I think. But yeah, I mean, he's going to be key for them next, absolutely key for them next season. And if you know, if I'm wrong and he does go, then yeah, that'd be a massive blow. Yeah, uh, absolutely. It'll be interesting to see the developments on Aikens' future at Burton Albion, of course, over the course of the summer. Uh, Burton fans, of course, will be praying that he uh, stays as I said. He is a club legend there. Moving on now to Coventry. Uh, of course, they were one of the four sides that came up into League One from 2017-18. They finished in eighth position, a very respectable finish on your return to League One. Much like Blackpool, of course, their issues are still underlining and have still got massive problems behind it. Of course, next season... Uh, it looks like they're going to be playing at St Andrews uh, at the time of recording. It could change in the next week or so, but uh, at the moment, it seemingly looks like they've been playing at the home of Birmingham City. Um, Alex, I'll start with you. I mean, you know, they came up with Wickham from League Two. Um, I saw a lot of Coventry this season, um, and I got the feeling they were, they, you know, they were very, very gun ho. They went for games. They play a really good brand of football under Mark Robbins. But like we alluded to with Blackpool, their results from the top half of the team, from the teams above them to the teams below them, towards the relegation, that was the big, big issue, wasn't it? The fact that they just couldn't match the status of the results against the top end team. Yeah, I think um, I think Mark Robbins is building something with Coventry. I think he's he, he's working under a very, very um, tough, tough resources behind the scenes, resulting result. Um, revolving Sisu and their uh, uncertainty of where they'll be playing their home game. So that's not going to be easy for him. But what what he does what he does have, he um the players all seem to warm to him. The fans love it. I saw someone say, I'm not sure how old this country fan was, he's the best manager they've had in their lifetime. So that's the sort of thing which you, you want you want to see. Um you want your you want if you're um divided sort of like within the uh, within the um owners of the club, you want everyone else to be united. I think they certainly are at, at Coventry. And they sort of um they made steady progression under him last season. They lost um, their best player and star striker, Mark McNulty, quite um, quite soon before the season started. So they didn't really have much to replace him. They got in Connor Chaplin, who was maybe sort of the only player with like a similar play style available they could realistically go for. He may not have got the goal return which McNulty would have um, got or which Coventry would have liked, but it, is still, it was still a, like a decent addition for the level at the time. And I think they're another one. I think all to be fair, I think every team we're going to cover in this um in this episode are sort of in the same bracket. They um they could all have got a good chance of kicking on and going for the top six next season. I think Coventry certainly followed that suit. If um Robbins can keep building, I think he's been a, done a, he's done a very good job so far getting them promoted from League Two the first time of asking, then a top half finish in um League One at the first um first season back at this level. I think they've got a, a good chance to. He's got a good chance to continue what he's started building and then push it and um, push for promotion next year. I think well, Robbins has done an excellent job there. We talked about Joe in previous episodes a few a few episodes ago about the situation at, at the Rico Arena, so I won't go go back to it as such because obviously it's almost just repeating what was said before. But how how good a job has Robbins done to almost try and unite a fan base? Given them belief when they have such um, a disapproval of the current owners, Sisu and, and what have you. You know, he's got to deserve a massive great credit for that, hasn't he? Just trying to keep the players focused and give the fans, I guess, over that little bit of the season, the belief that they could break into the playoffs. How good a job has he actually done in that in that sense? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's done a fantastic job, I think. Um, I, I, again, just echoing what Brum said, you know, he's... he's um, 
under the circumstances, I think he's done a remarkable job to be able to really galvanise the club in, you know, I think off the pitch, obviously there's so many different issues with the ownership and the stadium and whatnot. But on the pitch, um, I think that, you know, they're, they're getting something good together. Um, they made a couple of decent early signings in this uh, in this window. And yeah, I, I actually suspect Coventry, like, I don't know how much this, this stadium's um, situation is going to disrupt them next season, but if they can sort, you know, a reasonable... Um, a reasonable situation out, then I suspect them to be challenging next season or, or a decent team. Again, you can never. I'm not sure whether they're they're going to creep into the top six or not, or you know, be in that sort of bracket. But I certainly suspect them to be a a very decent team next season. And you know, again, Mark Robbins when he came into the club, um, I think they were rock bottom of League One. Uh, obviously, almost certainly heading to League Two. He had to rebuild the club um, going into the fourth tier, and now you know they're as strong as they've been in years at this point, despite all the off-field issues. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you talked about the summer business there, of course. The two big signings they've made, they signed Doncaster's Marco, uh, Mark, Mar- Marco Morosi, excuse me, and they signed Carl McFadden from Burton Albion. Mm. Um, Alex, a lot of players left Coventry. Um, players who were there in League Two, like Jack Grimmer, Tom Davis, uh, people like that. Um, do you sense that Mark Robbins is, is looking at this situation and going, right, we're trying to... You said he's building something. Is he looking at this now going, I want to build for the championship. I want us to take us back to the second tier where I feel, given our history, where, where we belong. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I think it's good that he has been quite um, not very sentimental in, in the way he's um, gone about his business so far this summer, getting rid of some of the players which... Um, he had with them in league in league two to get them promoted, and then he's got rid of those. Like as you say, um, the goalkeeper and the left back both got in the um, team of the season that year from league two. I can't. What's it? What were their names again? Sorry, I know. I'm thinking uh, of Lee Burgess is the goalkeeper, isn't That's it? That's the one. Yeah, yeah. And he, to get rid of them quite quite quickly in um, th- this summer, it shows that he's n- he's not hanging about. He really wants to um, make progress and. Bringing in McFadzeen is is an absolute excellent signing for them. I saw him for Burton a few times uh, last season. He's a real he's a real top class centre half. He's real um, leader, good. He? Yeah, he, yeah, he's a, he's good in both boxes. He's a sort of player which I think strikers don't enjoy playing against. You know, you always in for a battle with him, and he, he's um he's going to be a great great addition for Coventry next season. I I really think they can kick on and do well next year. It's just such a shame that if they could do go to St Andrews, it might hold them back a little bit because I think. They're making um great. They would be, they would be making great progress otherwise. Joe on the pitch, obviously Alex alluded to there. Uh, I'm gonna ask sort of the same thing. So obviously feel free to add any points. Do you think that do you like what he's doing there this season, this summer, building for this season, or do you think maybe he should have maybe kept the core players that have been successful for the last two seasons? No, as I said, I think you know moving forward, they've made a couple of good early signings, and yeah, I mean they continue continue to do good business. I know they've been linked with Graham Carey and some other players, like the the players I've I've seen sign and seen linked with all seem you know if they can get get you know get a squad together like that, you know that'll be massively positive. And I think you know there's there's no there's not really much room for sentiment in football. Um, if you're trying to be successful, trying to move forward, like the players that were good for Coventry in League Two, you know, at the top of League One, they might, they, you know, they might not be able to make that step up. And I think they've got to be ruthless in that sense. So, no, I think Mark Robbins is doing a, a really good job, and um, you, know, kept, you know, keep on going what they're doing. You know, obviously the off-field issue is going to be um, gnawing away and at, at that at that positivity, I suppose. But as, as I said, if they can get a situation resolved with that, I, I fully suspect Mark Robbins to keep. Um, keep um, the progress going at Coventry. 
So that's commentary talks about. We now move on to Peterborough, uh, of course, under uh, Dan Ferguson. The, the, the season just gone was quite a, an interesting one for me because it looked like August, September, at the end of it, they were going to really mount a top two challenge. There were a lot of people's favourites to go up. They spent a lot of money. A lot of players came in. Steve Evans was, and his team were flying high. And then they started to get a lot more draws. It was almost the same story of what it was when he was in his last few months at Mansfield before he left to go to Peterborough. And then, as it, as time went on, they lost more games. They were the fans were growing a bit restless at the football side of things, which I think led to Evans' sacking. Then Ferguson came in, and they just hit rock bottom. And then they slowly got back up, but it almost looked a little bit too late in that regard. Joe, how would you assess Peterborough's season? Yes, they should have been in the top six, but do you think they were right to get rid of Steve Evans when they did? Or do you think maybe they should have kept him? What do you think? Um, difficult to say. Like I, th- I do think um, if they'd have kept Steve Evans, they would have had a better chance of getting into the top six. I know a lot of Peter fans probably massively disagree with that, but I just, I, I do think he is a specialist in getting into those sort of positions, even if it's at the sacrifice of sort of good, um, entertaining football. Um, but I think in the long run, it probably will you know, turned out to be quite a good decision. Um, I think Ferguson, although he had a difficult start, I think he did start to get some results together towards the end of the season. Yeah. And and also, they've already made, like, a really fast start to this window, um, making a few really good signings. Um, Dan Butler from Newport's a great signing. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, they're, 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 making, um, they're making good movements, I think. And to be honest, I, I think they will be strong next season. Um I don't. I can't see them not finishing in the top six um, if they can continue sort of signing the players, the calibre of players they're signing. Um, and I think Ferguson. Ferguson is a decent manager. I think he had a tough start, and I was surprised to see him back, and I was surprised to see him given a permanent contract as well. Um, considering like when at the time of him signing that deal, their form was not great. But I think now it actually looks a little bit more like you can sort of understand why they've done it now. Um, coming into this window, I think. Yeah, um, Peterborough. This this season will be looked back in with massive disappointment. Like they should have finished in the top six this year. They had the squad. They have the quality. Like when you look at their squad. You think Marcus Madison, Ivan Tony are just two of the players they've got going forward. Um, like that that should be that should be challenging for promotion. Like, there's no there's no excuse for that. And um, as far as I'm concerned, it'll be a disappointing season. But yeah, I mean, I, f- I fully expect them to turn around next season under Ferguson. To be honest, that they're my tip for top two next season. Early early tip. Yeah, I think uh, you won't be alone in that regard with a lot of people sensing people to be top two. I mean, it's it's echoing last season, isn't it, the, the fast start they made? I mean, OK, they didn't buy the first sort of four or five players. They didn't buy um, on, on, you know, they didn't buy them for big fees. They bought them on free transfers and stuff. But, you know, Ferguson's doing exactly the same sort of what as Steve Evans did. Um, it just goes to show, Alex, that the pulling, the power that people have gotten, the project that McCantony is building to keep the likes of Madison who continually, every single summer, gets linked with championship clubs. They've got Tony, they've got Gordon, who hit you know, nearly 40 goals between them combined last season. And obviously the additions they've made in Pym and Butler and uh, Beavers as well um, was one player we missed. It just shows that something, and it looks like finally this season could be the year that Peterborough actually have a right good crack at this division. Would you agree with that, Alex? Um, yeah, I would. And it shows um, the sort of the, the money which the chairman is putting into it to be able to sign these sort of players. Because as, as Joe said, on, on players alone, you got, you've got to allude to Peterborough being one of, the, one of the best teams in the league, really. 
expect that this squad they Absolutely. got from last year and then the addition they made so far the summer with Pim, Butler, Beavers. They're three the three of those already would probably be like leading players for pretty much every side in the division. So they they've they've really got um they they're assembling like a good core to the squad. They're touching up where they need to and again getting their business done early, which is 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 always a good thing to do. And is the only thing which I could see is holding them back is I think they're go just going down the the same sort of old roads when they've with Darren Ferguson. I think it'd have been better if when they got rid of Steve Evans to a point um some fresh ideas rather than just going like Ferguson's third spell at the club. I just don't think mm. it was. Like, yeah. You you don't want to keep go barking up the same tree. You want you really want to get someone someone who's the fans are starting to. I saw a few mumbles in the the fan base like looking under the uh, hashtag PUSC um uh, the PUSC hashtag on Twitter. It didn't seem like they were all like too over the moon when he was appointed. But if he can um get the best out of what he's got then there's no reason why they they won't finish in the top two next year as Joe said but it, it's going to be he, I think he is a weak link within there so the players is def, definitely they've definitely got the players got that he's just got to show he's got the tactical flexibility to be able to get a team promoted from League One once more That brings an end to Peterborough's season review and what uh, could happen for the next season we now move on to Dan Ferguson's old side in Doncaster who are actually managed by an ex-Peterborough player and manager in Grant McCann. Um, I'll start with this one. I was very, very surprised at the start of the season. Looking at Doncaster's team, I did think that they would be a bottom half team, but um, you know, I'll, I'll happily eat humble pie and admit that I was wrong. Having seen them live at the keep moat against Rovers when they completely uh, tore us to shreds, they were a very good team and very deserving of their top six finish, I must add, so they deserved it on merit. Um, Joe, did you have the same sort of feeling as I did towards last season, that they don't look like a team at all that could get in the top six. It's only until you really see them up close or you see the results and you hear about the way they play that you think, yeah, OK, they deserve to be in the in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, I, like, yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't think they were going to do anything coming into the season, really. I thought it was a decent appointment in McCann, but like, he was sacked by Peterborough, um, as sort of half the planet seems to have been sacked by Peterborough, but he was sacked by Peterborough. <laughs> um, and... Yeah, I mean, I wasn't. I, I think he did a decent job there, but I wasn't expecting him to to sort of pull up any trees at Doncaster. But he's done a fantastic job, and I think um, keeping hold of Marquis was was huge because I think he is um, a top marksman at this level, and also um, two uh, the, a couple of loan signings and Malik Wilkes and Herbie Kane from the Leeds and Liverpool respectively. I think they were tremendous signings, um, and I always like. I don't want to be too harsh on Pete, uh, Doncaster when I say this, but I when. I saw Doncaster sort of in person. I just thought they were quite an average team with three really good players, like three players too good for this level, and the rest were sort of okay. Um, but that was sort of enough to get them into the top six. As I said, like I've been saying all season, like it's been not an unbelievable quality division this season. If you think like Peterborough, like some of the form they went through this season, and they only just finished one point outside the playoffs, and we're talking as a really disappointing season. Like if they just turned one of those draws they had into wins, they'd have been in the playoffs. So. Like, and they had an awful run, didn't they? I think yeah. When we first started recording, they were they were rock bottom, weren't they? As, as yeah, I yeah. And, and people talk about it as this sort of terrible season, whereas like if I don't know if they could, they might have conceded some sort of last minute equaliser or something. If they just didn't concede that, they would have been in the top six. Like, it's just, and that's an awful season. Like and and they and, and they didn't play well and they weren't actually that good. So we're talking about 
Uh, obviously, Doncaster getting to the top six. I don't want to be too harsh on Doncaster because it's a great achievement to get into the top six, and McCann deserves all the credit he's getting. But I don't think they're amazing. And actually, ne- looking forward to next season, obviously, Wilkes and Kane are going back to their parent clubs. I think I do expect Marquis to leave, actually. Um, I think it could be a tough summer for Doncaster and potentially a, a tough second season for, for McCann if he stays. Alex, I'll ask you about next season or the season coming up in just a minute. What would, what would you like to add about the, the season just gone? Because, as I said, it was a surprise for me that they were there. Having seen them live, they played good football. They were good on the eye at times to, to, to watch. Would you agree with that? Or do you kind of hold the same opinion? Yeah, I, I actually share the same opinions with both of you on this, really. Before ball was kicked um, ahead of the last season, I had got Doncaster for a bottom half finish, perhaps a flirt with the relegation battle. But... I, w- I then went to um, Doncaster v Wickham, second game of the season. They absolutely ripped us to shreds. Malik Wilkes, in particular, was superb that day. Yeah, he was the, as well. They, they won 3-0, and then I just thought, wow, OK, then. Because I, I, thought, I thought originally that McCann was, again, sort of like a stale appointment and not really, like, anything fresh like, for the level. But he, he's, he's proved me completely wrong. He's played some good attacking football. They're, they're, to, to, when they're playing at their best, they're one of the most entertaining sides to watch in the division for me. That I think they're, they're really good stuff. And it was just a, a little bit of inconsistency with them, which really um, meant that they weren't um, up there with the top five in the league because they, they were definitely the sixth best team in the league. But if they just managed to not... Um, if they if they manage to get out more results against the smaller teams like Wimbledon springs to mind, they lost to them at quite a crucial stage of the season. They could have easily been like really challenging for the top two along with um Luton, Barnsley, Charlton, Portsmouth and Sunderland. But it's just that element of consistency cost them. And for next season they've really got to be able to um replace um Herbie Kane and Malik Wilkes who are both going back to their parent clubs. I think that's gotta be the priority priority for um McCann as well as um, keeping hold of Marcus because uh, uh, Joe, Joe, Joe said that they are um, Doncaster's three best players or well, they were last season anyway mm. so if, if they lose all three of those they're, they're going to be really up against it from the get-go next year I think Staying, staying with this season actually, you think that re- we talked about Blackpool and we said about how they need to have real smart recruitment to be in the top six it seems with Doncaster that Wilkes for me and Herbie Kane will not be there next season. I think they will be in the championship. But do you think that they have to do exactly the same again? They've almost got to recycle what they did for the 18-19 season in terms of signings and and try and, and go from there, try and look look down that road to, for them to be successful again? Yeah, it, it wouldn't be too bad of a policy to do if they can get it right. But it's always um risky with loan signings because you know you can't rely on them as your long as your long term solutions to the squad so it, they could they need to um i don't think they can replace wilkes and kane with two two low knees i think they need to get um two two permanent deals done to um really replace those two then just add low knees that where where they fit in and around the squad i'm not 100% sure on Doncaster's budget to be fair i'd imagine it in, isn't one of the lowest in the division so they should be able to compete with other sides to um to sign players who are available. So they, they really, really have to be able to um, get in for some some good talent and not, and not waste um, the money they've got on more um, stale players for their squad. Some very interesting points there made uh, by, by you, Alex. There. We'll now move on to Sunderland. I think this is a very interesting team to talk about. Right, I think the best thing to say about them is they had far too many draws. 19 out of 46 games this season they drew. Um, towards the end of the season, they had a wretched run. 
that going into April, they lost just two games. They ended up losing three of their last seven. They lost to Coventry, to Fleetwood and to Southend on the last day. And obviously it ended in a defeat at Wembley, which to a lot of League One supporters, I think was quite comical. Certainly not for Sunderland supporters, obviously. Joe, obviously you don't need to go into great detail about the draws because we know that has cost them a top two place. But why else do you think they have not been able to get to where Luton and Barnsley are or to where Charlton are? Why do you think they couldn't do it? Um, well, failure to kill teams off, and they're not actually that good. Like <laughs> that's all. That's been the, the common theme. Like when I talk to people I know who support Sunderland, they've been the, the, the same thing comes back. Yeah, we sort of we're up there, but we're not actually not actually that good. Like we're not great. Yeah. We're not a team. Like when 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 Sunderland been promoted before, you look at their team and you think, wow, what a team. We're we're running this division. No point. We thought so, like both times Oxford have played Sunderland this season. We should have beat them both times. Um. And I think you speak to um, fans of a lot of clubs in League One, when they've played Sunderland, they've not been that impressed by them. They've been a bit underwhelmed, considering they're sort of the biggest club in the division. And and that's massive disappointing for Sunderland, considering they've had a lot of money. Like, yeah, I understand it was um, it was difficult um, for them. Obviously, they were at rock bottom as a football club. They had a lot of disruption trying to get rid of um, and Dong and Dilabodji and sort of get the the sort of bad eggs at the club over the summer and it was the preparation for the season wasn't the best but I think over the course of the season they should have had the quality to get promotion and I don't really think there are many excuses for fail- for failing to do so and it's been a pretty awful season for Sunderland in that respect um, and yeah we talk about the draws that's what everyone sort of says and it is true like you can't draw that ma- many games and I think I mentioned this um, a few weeks ago actually but in a lot of those draws it's not as if they like people talk about failure to kill teams off, yeah, that, that that's definitely been a theme as well. But they've not even played that well in most of those draws. They've been lucky to get the draws. They should have like the draws when they should have lost, rather than draws when they like were unlucky not to win. Like, and they're just they're just not that great. Like, that's that's sort of my as as, as simple as that uh, opinion on them is. I just don't think they're they're yeah they're a big club, and I think a lot of teams maybe respected them too much when Sunderland come to town it's like wow Sunderland they're bringing this all the support they're a big big club and maybe they just picked up a few results on the way through that way but I just I've never really rated them that highly throughout the season as sort of blunt as that is very very interesting points I think probably as a few people hold that opinion some may not but each their own um Alex it's interesting with Sunderland because Everything was just feel good about the season, wasn't it? A new manager, new owner came in, fresh start, basically a blank canvas. It was like a, a rebirth, a rebirthing of a new club, wasn't it? In a sense, going into next season, they've got Will Grigg, who cost four million pounds with the aim of getting out of the championship. Let's be honest, it hasn't worked out so far. But the big, big question—I'm going to raise it to you to me. I'm going to start with you, Alex. Do Sunderland sack Jack Ross going into the 2019-2020 season? I want an answer and then a reason as to, to, to your answer. Right, my answer is no, because if if they were going to appoint the manager in the first place, they had to have a, like a long-term plan in mind. They can't just have thought, right, if he doesn't get promoted, if he doesn't get us promoted in their first year, we'll bin him off and get someone else to repeat his task. That that can't be the way they go about um, their job, Sunderland. And it, before I um, talk more about Ross, I just want to allude to the point you made before that quickly. That of all the um the feel good factor at the start of the season, um when they were about to start their first year in League One, what that actually reminded me of is when a big team gets relegated to the conference, like when 
Luton, Oxford, um, Notts County now in a way, already went mm. down. They're just thinking... Bristol right, Rovers. Yeah, definitely Bristol Rovers, yeah. It's like thinking, right, we're in the conference. We're only going to be here one or two years maximum. Let's try out some new, newer ways. Let's just enjoy it. But that, that's not how it works out. Um, Sunderland, they're, they're, if they don't play the football on the pitch, they're not getting out of this league. It's all right being, the, as Joe said, the biggest club in the league and travelling, bringing all this support and sort of like dazzling the smaller clubs. But if, if they don't get the results from the pitch, they're stuck here just like every other team. And it, it, it's it's got to be like, they've got to be able to play the football. And Jack Ross, moving back on to Jack Ross now, he's um clearly got a bit of a plan in mind, but it, the midfield, I think, is Sunderland's um, weakest area in the pitch. I mean, it's so defensive. Like, I mean, they've got decent names available, like Catamo, Gooch, McGeoch, um, Ledbith. Max but Power. Yeah, but there's, I mean, you could, Power's pretty good, but those four I've just mentioned, there's no, like, what you say, like, trade spark. spark. Yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly, to be able to, like, win a game and, and unlock a team. So, the sort of, uh, the way you see um, Portsmouth have it with um, Close and Naylor in the middle, they've got, they've got that some, sort of something about them going forward. And, yeah, Ledbitter and... Um, uh, Catamole have played at a high level before, but they, it, it's just they just don't really seem to as um they don't they they just don't seem as if they're gonna you're gonna like fear them that they're gonna be all right breaking up play and stopping the opposition doing it, but they just they they won't make enough goals for you for your centre of midfield, and that's perhaps what they saw Power and and Luke O'Nan do when they bought them, but now O'Nan's a right back, Power isn't like starting all the games. They've they've got to really be able to work the ball through the middle of the park and not just have um like the ball winners there. They will need to really start playmaking. I know you could say Honeyman sort of does that, but he's not particularly been great this season. It, they they Sunderland their their problems lie, I wouldn't say with Jack Ross, because if he gets um the personnel, then I think he will be able to get them out of the league next year. But they they've got to really like improve and get more creativity into the side. Because everyone knows at this level Will Greg does score goals. If if they can create more chances than him, he will tuck them away. That's not the issue. It's just the fact is, I don't think they were scoring them. And as I said, I think I said it on the first podcast or something. When they had Josh Manchester, he had the highest conversion rate in Europe. And I did say that's not sustainable. Like that, he's just going by a freak by a striker he's scoring a freakishly high amount of goals per chance. And then once he went, there was no way that. Um, uh, Greg or something was going to be able to keep scoring to that rate, something like a forty-six percent conversion rate, which is which is obscene. There, there was no there was no way that Greg was going to be able to continue scoring goals at that rate, even even though he's um he's probably the one of the best strikers to play in League One in recent years. He's not he's not got superpowers. He's just he's just he's he's a he's a good footballer, but he's not he's not a Premier League player or anything. So there's there's no there's no way that they're going to be able to um finish do any better than they did last year unless they really sort out their creative issues in the middle of the park in my opinion it is an interesting point about Jack Ross isn't it because there's been a lot of Sunderland fans groaning I think George Ellick uh, of course the host of the Not Top 20 pod co-host even uh, rightly alluded to saying should he go he called you know caused quite a bit of a debate on Twitter with, with supporters of Sunderland on neutrals Joe well, what's your thinking on it I mean Alex made a very very good point there and I do feel the same I don't think they should get rid of him and he has got long-term aims, certainly, that him and the chairman or the owner, Stuart Donald, seem to, to, to have in mind. But if it's going wrong next season, let's say six games in, they only win one of them and, and they lose more than they win in the first six games. Do, do they count, you know, count their losses and get rid of him or do they stick by him and, and give him time to try and get them into the top two? Um. Well, I think they are going to stick with him because I think Stuart Donald on 
uh, on the Roker Report podcast said that um, basically he is like he we are going to back Jack, Jack Ross, so he's going to stay there. But like, I just honestly, I I I wouldn't have even appoint him in the first place. It's sort of ridiculous as that sounds. Like why? Because if you look at every team that have gone down like got big relegations. Um, and, and the teams that will sort of bounce back straight away, they've always had experienced managers at the top. Like yeah. Blackburn had Mowbray, Wolves had Jacket, Bolton had Phil Parkinson. Like they always seem to have experienced um, managers. The only exception, I suppose, is um, when uh, Wigan went up with Gary Colwell. That's the only exception I can think of. Like it was always a risk putting somebody into that job who is relatively inexperienced, had had never managed an English football before. I always thought it was a risk um, from the start. Especially because of how, how big the job is, how yeah. big the club is, and how much they have to rebuild in terms of getting players out and bringing new players in. I, I would like I would sack him personally if I was a judge, but it's not really relevant because they're not going to. But I just I, the, the way he sets the team up, I just I just think he's not tactically good enough really. But again, if you chuck enough money at the situation, they could end up getting promoted even with sort of a. In with Jack Ross in charge wouldn't surprise me um, at all, but yeah, I mean, I think they will. St- and, and there's also the argument that Sunderland have had a lot like, throughout their history, recent years, they've sacked a lot of managers, and it's not really worked for them. So, but then again, like they're stuck with David Moyes, and that didn't really work, did it? So it's it's a little bit ironic because I think if they'd have gone into this season with Simon Grayson in charge, the man they started in the championship, oh, yeah, I, 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 think I think they, yeah, I, I, I was thinking that as well, mate. Honestly, I was thinking that as well, like. I was thinking, oh, who could suddenly get in? And the first name that popped into my head was Grayson. And then I was like, oh, no, he was already at Sunderland, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, like, me forgot. too. Um, yeah, it, it, it's difficult. Like, when they went down, I thought someone like Mick McCarthy would be perfect. But I don't know I did, he's got aspirations well. higher than League One. Like, obviously, he's Republic of Ireland manager now. So, But I don't know. Like, I just I just kind of feel like they might as well stick with him to, if you, to an extent. Because if you, if you're, like, continuity is important, I suppose. But... I just don't really rate him that highly, um, and the job he's done this season. As much as you could argue that to turn them around, like they, I think Stuart Don made the point that um, when Jack Ross came in, they'd won like one home game in like however long, and now they've only lost one home game in like all season or whatever. Like that's a, that's a good achievement to turn it around in that way, but. I just think with the players they've got, like players like Aidan McGeady and Brian Oviedo at this level, Lee Catamol, um, the players they signed, like Charlie White, John McLaughlin in goal, I just, I, I honestly, I just don't see how you can look at this season and see it anything else, anything um, other than a pretty big failure, to be honest. And I don't want to be too sort of sensationalist in what mm. I'm saying, um, but I just think it's been a massively disappointing season for Sunderland. And you can certainly make the argument that Jack Ross doesn't deserve to continue with Sunderland manager, but he, he will do, so we'll see what happens. You look at um, Sunderland being fifth in the table and you say, yeah, that's no way near good enough for what the, the money they put in and um, the aspirations of the club, but 85 points is what they call That's not too bad of a return, really. That's, that is enough for automatic promotion but, in some seasons. But and then should think, they have got more? Yeah, yeah, they, yes, they, they should have definitely. All, with all those draws, they definitely should have had like four, four, those four or five of those draws into win out. So what was that? Eighteen draws. But you would think next season with Ross, they'll be able, to, they'll be able to do that. If they just have a repeat of the season as such, and then but turn a few more of those draws into wins, they'll get promoted, no problem. So I don't think sacking Ross would really do anything. Like, did, like I don't think sacking Ross would like be a, um, 
It wouldn't uh, be an achievement. Be, yeah, it wouldn't be a benefit to take the club forward. It'd just sort of like punish Ross. It would punish himself. It would punish mm. the manager himself for what's been a bad season. I do think he will be able to get them out of the league next year, though. And if he and if he can't do it next year, then he's absolutely got to go. But I do think he deserves one more crack at one more bite at the cherry. Well, I think we've covered Sunderland enough uh, in this little season review. So we'll move on now to uh, the team they beat in the playoff semi-finals in Portsmouth. Um, for me, I thought Portsmouth going into the season would be the winners of the division. Um, I just saw the manager, I saw the recruitment, and I was really, really excited by it. I thought he'd done really well. He bought in Burton's best player, um, and then over the season he bought in Vaughan and Bogle. They were the highest. Uh, they were second highest scorers in the league, obviously behind Luton Town. They got more goals than Barnsley, which probably a lot of people didn't know. Um, defensively, they had. Uh, the fourth best record, uh, fifth, sorry, uh, in the division. Um, it was the little run, wasn't it, in sort of January and February that basically, in the end, stopped them getting the top two, I think. Would you agree with that assumption, uh, you two? One of you jump in that, that it was that real bad two-month period at the start of 2019 that basically led to their downfall in them not getting the top two. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I think they were quite a considerable way ahead at the top of the division for quite a long time in the season. You know, quite a substantial time in the season they were in the top two. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I suppose you could argue that it's, it's sort of similar to Sunderland in a way. A big club, not quite achieve what they set out to do. But the difference is, is that Kenny Jacket, I think, is. I think with him in charge, I feel a lot more confident that they'll be able to get promotion mm-hmm. next season in Sunderland. Um, in my honest opinion, um, and. Yeah, I mean, it's it's both disappointing in a way that they haven't managed to get in. Um, but there were actually some decent teams up there this season. Um, I know people talk about the lack of quality in the league. And I totally, I totally agree. But there were some good teams right at the top. I think in Luton, Barnsley, Charlton, Portsmouth. And those those four sides yeah. actually genuinely all good good sides, in my opinion. Um, and I suppose you could chuck Sunderland in there and finish three points behind Sunderland, but uh, Portsmouth. But you know, I, I do I do think that. Um, yeah, Port- it's going to be disappointing for Portsmouth because the, the target at the start of the season would have been promotion. But I think next season, to me, I think you look at the early sort of predictions um, for automatic promotion next season. I'm looking at Portsmouth, Peterborough, and then you probably th- look at Ipswich and Sunderland as well to, to maybe um, get top two. But I certainly think Portsmouth will be up there again next season. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you on that one, obviously. The one thing I did notice about Portsmouth, I was very, very disappointed with them in the playoff semi-finals. I thought they just... They just didn't turn up over two games and it almost looked like it, it got to the squad of players, but that's a, a whole separate issue. Alex, th- th- this season for Portsmouth, I don't think it's, that, it's not that much of a failure. OK, they did lose the lead, yes, and they didn't go up, but they have made quite a lot of progression and you could almost see that they are trying to build something long-term under Jacket. He's got fairly quite a, a young team. He's got some good players, you know, low... Curtis, Matt Clark, whether they stay there next season remains to be seen. But do you feel that it's not that bad a problem that they didn't get promotion this season? Yeah, I think you said it yourself. It's um, it's progression compared to their first season back in League One when they finished eighth um, the year before the season just gone. And I think if they improve again next season, they won't be too far away at all. And that's what they've really got to look at doing. 
But you got you got you said it, again. You said it yourself. Like Clark for them has been he's been one of the best centre halves in the league, really, and he's been linked with Premier League. Probably the best, I'd say. Yeah, 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 definitely. Well, not definitely, but he has been like, really up there. He's been linked with Premier League clubs such as um, was it Brighton? I've seen them putting a bid in for him. Like, he's going to be he's most more, most likely going to be um, leaving. So they've got to be able to fill his void. Because I've always think Burgess um, is a little bit shaky. Like every time I've seen him um, for Portsmouth, he doesn't really, wouldn't fill me with too much confidence if I was um, a Portsmouth supporter. So they've really got to look at getting a centre half in. But if they improve again next season, they will be very, very, very close to um, automatic promotion or there itself. There's no reason, again, why they can't really strive and kick on and um, go for the league title automatic promotion next season. Joe, where do they need to improve significantly? Because they were on TV a lot, so I think a lot of us could cast a bet, you know, a, quite a good judgment on Portsmouth. Where do you think they really need to look at the areas of strength? Um, difficult to say. I, I don't. I don't. They weren't far off. I don't think so. It's not as if they have to, to sort of rip it up and start again. I think they maybe just need to bring in a couple of more couple more quality additions. Um, probably in the set. Like, they've lost a couple of forwards because. Um, they were Bogle and Vaughan were on loan, and um, Solomon Ottobor as well, the winger, was on loan. So they have to replace those players. Um, like it's going to be another year older for Brett Pittman. Um, do you have to look at replacing him at some point? Um, I don't know, uh, but I don't. Again, they're not miles off um, for next season. And I, again, like if they get a couple more quality strikers in, a couple of good wingers, maybe um, I don't think they'll be far off. And again. As Brim said, I think keeping Matt Clark will be key. Um, I don't know whether it's going to be possible, but if they could do that, then uh, that'll be a massive boost for them. And of course, if he leaves, then that's going to be a big, um, a big void to, to fill, and they have to to make sure they um, they they get that decision right in, in terms of who replaces him. Alex, you got anything to, to add on on what Joe's just been saying, or do you very much agree with what he said? Well, Portsmouth usually are good in the transfer market, aren't they? So if they yeah. um, if they sort of do what they usually do and sort of spend big and sign sign a lot of players and they they will they'll be they'll be fine next year. There's no, there's no danger they're having a bad season at all, especially with Jacket in charge. Oh, they've got a good man at the wheel ready to take them forward, and no doubt they'll make two or three notable signings, and I think they're going to be in a good stead for next year. All right, well that brings an end to the season review part three from tenth to fourth. Next week we'll take a look at the three. Promoted sides in Luton Town, Barnsley and Charlton. And then we'll have two more episodes for you, Hat. We'll see uh, and we'll talk about how the sides coming up from League Two will fare uh, and what and review their season. And we'll also look at the championship teams coming down into League One as well. Uh, this has been another episode of the League One Lowdown. My thanks, as always, has to go to Alex uh, for, your input, uh, for your input. Thank you, Alex, for that. Uh, not a problem. I I did enjoy going on a rant, an event about Sunderland. Sorry if I offended any of you Sunderland fans, but I just thought I had to had to say what I had to say. I was not impressed with George Honeyman at all, but there we are. I think there's uh, deeper issues with that one involved in Adam Park, but we won't go into that now. Um, Joe, uh, also thanks has to go to you. Thank you for your uh, great input there as well, mate. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. That Honeyman rant's definitely getting clipped up and put on Twitter, so uh, <laughs> we'll probably get some by some of the fans. Alex, you do get uh, some uh, DMs or, uh, in your Twitter. And then, uh, oh, I'm sure my notifications will be active tonight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
this is, as I said, it's been the League One Lowdown. Uh, have a great week and uh, hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. And remember to give the Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages a like. Follow uh, at L1 Lowdown on the Twitter and the podcast will be out later on this evening on the various platforms. Uh, so we'll see you soon uh, and have a great week.